Greetings, this is Pastor Stan Harvey of the Pentecostals of Sydney. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. It is our hope that this message, whether it be a Sunday service or a midweek lesson, would be a blessing and a help to you in your spiritual journey. Stay connected with us on our website, posydney.com, or on our numerous social media platforms. Now to the service. To Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9. I'm going to read, as we have been doing, a number of verses of Scripture. Um, but I mean, hey, it's the Bible. It's really good to read. And so we're going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 2 and then 10 through 16. And as you're turning, I just want to say how much of an honor um, it has been uh, for me to be here. I want to Give a shout out to my friends, uh, uh, Pastor Pastor Greg, and then Pastor Greg Wilmot, and and Brother Harvey. Um, thank you for letting me be here. This is always an incredibly humbling experience. You're a tremendous leader, and um, every time I'm here, I'm like, this is the kind of church that I want to build at home in Canada. And so, um, don't you love your pastor? He's a tremendous leader. And uh, this whole team has been amazing. Has, haven't the, haven't the worship team and the, the music team, there's been a lot of young people up here. See, haven't they done a wonderful job? It's been so good. And uh, uh, I am over the jet lag just in time to fly home, which is nice. And, <laughs> and so I fly tomorrow at 10.15. And after traveling for between 25 to 30 hours, I arrive home also on Monday at 7.30. And so I'm still trying to wrap my brain around how time works now. And, uh, but it has been so great to be here. And, and Lord, Lord willing, um, next time I come, my family... Uh, will be uh, will be with me. You had a chance to meet my wife as well as Mr. Judah, uh, who has been practicing um, his Australian accent uh, because he said that's how you have to talk when you go there. And uh, I have not been stopping him. I, in fact, I'm encouraging it. And so get ready to hear a lot of good days from a nine-year-old uh, when he comes <laughs> sometime soon. Let's read from the Word of God together. Thank you for my monitors today. That was this is this is wonderful. I have been screaming all weekend, and I got to scream two more times, and so uh, my voice is starting to feel a little raw. So then Job answered and said, "Truly, I know it is so. But how can a man be righteous before God? If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of." thousand he does great things past finding out yes wonders without number if he goes by me I do not see him if he moves past I do not perceive him if he takes away who can hinder him he's saying God God wants to take something from me who can stop him who can say to him what are you doing God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath him. How then can I answer him? 
and choose my words to reason with him. For though I were righteous, I couldn't, I couldn't answer him. Even if I had my life together, I couldn't answer God. If I called and he answered me, I would not believe he was listening to my voice. Sorry, I skipped over a verse. He said, how then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. If I called and he answered me, I would not believe he was listening to my voice. You hear the, hear the, like the umph in his words, the pain, the vulnerability in his words. I couldn't answer God. And if God answered back, I couldn't even believe he was talking to a guy like me. With the Lord's help today, I want to preach to you for a few moments on this subject. The void between God and me. The void between God and me. Jesus, you're here today by your word, by your presence, by your power. Pray, Lord God, that you'd be with us today and that you would help us. Pray, Jesus, that you'd be with us and touch us today. God, you're going to minister to the hearts and minds of people by the power of your spirit at the end. I pray, Lord, that as we journey through the word together, God, you'd anoint me and you'd anoint us that we would hear what the Spirit would say to your body today. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. amen. You may be seated. Job has suffered just about as much as anyone in the whole of Scripture. He has lost everything. His money is gone. He is now in financial ruin. His businesses are gone, and he's going to build his life from scratch. Now his family is also gone. It's all been ripped from him suddenly and violently. We talk about Job quite a bit at church. But have you ever stopped and considered what it would have been like to have been Job? I began, as I talked about yesterday, on this Bible reading program where one of the things I had to do is to read a book of, or not a book, but a chapter of the book of Job every single day until the book was completed. And about after 90 days of that Bible reading plan, I would start the book of Job back over again. And, and when sometimes when I would preach, I would quote from the story of Job, but I would only quote a very select verses from the story of Job. But here I was now forced to sit and read Job every single day single day and have you ever stopped and wondered what it would have been like to be him I felt the emotion of that story just wash over me his business theft and natural disaster taking everything that he had built what took a lifetime to construct was annihilated in a matter of moments his servants gone they're trampled murdered stabbed and beaten to death by bandits People that he'd employed for years. He were called servants, but he didn't treat them like slaves. He treated them like employees. He'd care for them. He'd care for their families. He'd make sure that they had food and they had shelter. He would be tasked with the feeding of their kids. And now people that had built his business alongside of him for these many years are now all dead. And then finally, his children. I cannot imagine the trauma of in that particular day of Job. There were no first responders to coordinate 
off the neighborhood with police do not cross tape where he would be pushed away by the firefighters or the, the paramedics or the first responders to keep him from seeing what had happened. No, the first responder of that earthquake that day that collapsed the house upon Job's children was Job himself. As a dad, I could not imagine what it would be like to search through the rubble of a home to find my son. A lifetime of trauma compressed into a very short period of time. Now impoverished, scraping infection from boils, he sits in a pile of ashes and his head spinning. What has happened to me? Is this real life? Where is God? Why won't he help me? And as he sits in shock, and shock gives way to sadness, his friends come over. And if you've read the book of Job, you know that he probably could have picked better friends. Because when they see him, they are so struck by how awful he looks, they burst into tears and cry for three days. I have not had any overnight stays in the hospital as of yet, but if I do, and Pastor Greg, you come and visit me. If you burst into tears and can't stop crying for three days about how bad I look, I'm going to feel very bad about myself in that moment. But that's what they do. And they weep and they grieve, and then when they blow their nose and dry their eyes, they then spend the next several days accusing him, telling him what he has done to deserve such punishment. And that brings us to our text. Job is responding. He's overwhelmed by their accusations. He feels like the sting of their words have broken his heart. And he throws his hands up into the sky. He answered and says, Truly, I know it is so. But how can a man be righteous before God? If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. Who can debate God? I don't think I've done anything wrong and I think your accusations against me are unjust. But who can stand in the presence of God and make their case? He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes past me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath them. How then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? Job, in the middle of his pain, is asking some very big questions. Questions of divine incomprehensibility. How can a human being know God? As he sits there in his brokenness and in his pain, and he ponders God. How can somebody like me understand God? He's saying, there is a void. There is a void between God and me. A vast, dark, empty space separates us. God is so large. He is the creator of the universe that his movements are imperceivable to the human heart. And if God were next to me right now, how would I even know? When God is mad, he says only the strong can lay face down in the dirt. And if that's what the strong do, what about the weak? 
How can I answer him? I am clearly fragile. The void between who I am in my weakness and who he is in his greatness is an uncrossable void that I cannot find a way to fix. Job describes God his power as an omnipotent force that shakes the earth and darkens the stars and hides the sun and disappears the mountains. And in the process, God is so big, it's like his feet are so large that when he crushes the wicked, the blameless also get caught up in the collateral damage, Job says. And then he finally concludes, how can a God like this understand a God like me? How can God identify or know me Job's questions are not one of cognition he acknowledges the omnipotence of God he knows that God knows who he is but this is a question of empathy I know he knows my name and my address but does he know what it is like to be me I mean God can't get tired God can't get sick God can't get crushed by life God can't get beaten down by natural disasters. God is not, nor has ever been weak. So how in a world could God identify with me? If we're honest this morning, Job's plea is our plea. And his cries are our cries. And his question is our questions. You may not have lost your kids in an earthquake. But maybe they've lost their innocence to the world. You may not have pulled your children from the rubble of your physical home, but maybe they're trapped under the rubble of sin and they're bound by addictions and they're bound by wickedness and it seems like they keep making one bad decision after another. Maybe they didn't fall on prey to the collapse of a building, but maybe your mother died of cancer or you've got a father that's in a retirement home struggling with dementia or Alzheimer's disease. You may not have had bandits steal your sheep but the pandemic has robbed you of your employment. You may not have had natural disasters destroy your crops, but the chaos of life has left you shaken. And you may not be sitting in ashes, but you sat in the parking lot or in the driveway of your family home. And before you went inside to play with your kids, you hit the steering wheel and you cried hot tears. And you said, God, life's not fair. God, where are you? Why does it always have to be so hard? God do you see me God do you care not a theology lesson not wondering if God's omnipotence or omniscience knows who you are but a very real wondering God do you know where I am do you identify with me Job says I tell God this I tell God that what's the use I can't stand before him and then, then his cry crescendos. In verse 32, he says, For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, that we should go to court together, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Job sitting in the front yard of his now collapsed home. And he says, only 
If only God were a man like me, then I could stand before him. If the imperceivable, all-powerful, omnipotent God were somehow to be a human like me, he could know, he could know, and I could make my case if only I had a mediator with one hand on heaven and one hand on earth, one hand on God and another hand on me to bridge the gap between us. If there was only someone that could cross the chasm and bring us together, the dread of him would not terrify me. The rod of his wrath could be taken away and I could stand in the presence of God even in my brokenness and not fear. But what Job did not know as he cried out, there was a mediator coming and out of his pain poured forth prophecy. Because thousands of years later, the cry of Job was answered in 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Clap your hands to the Lord right now. God, as a man, is the answer to Job's plea. Jesus Christ, his one hand on God and another on us. The man, Christ Jesus Bridge the void by shedding his blood for us. Jesus Christ is God become a human being. God took all of his glory and God took his person and became a human. John 1 verse 1 through 5 and 14 says, In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of man and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory is of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth John is writing his gospel to people that believed that God could be found in a building on the Temple Mount. They believed that the glory of God existed in a room that only one person was able to enter one time per year. That the glory of God, the person of God, the presence of God, interacting with God could only happen by one special man on one special day of the year. And so when John used a very specific word. He said the word became flesh. In original Greek he literally said the word was tabernacled in flesh and dwelt among us. That literally means moved into the neighborhood. John is saying the glory of God, the person of God, the help of God, the presence of God doesn't live on a temple mount but it has become a human being and moved into your neighborhood. The glory of God is now tabernacled into a human person, has moved into the human race as oneness Pentecostals.
as apostolic people. We are correct in when we say that Jesus Christ is the almighty God. Because Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said and spake, unto them saying all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth Jesus is the almighty God he is the alpha he is the omega he is the beginning he is the end he is the first he is the last all power is subject to his name heaven is his throne earth is his footstool demons tremble at the name of Jesus sickness bows to the name of Jesus all power is in the name of Jesus. But I want you to hear me this morning as we celebrate the divinity of Jesus. We cannot neglect the humanity of that incarnation. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. It is a human mistake to overlook the humanity of our Lord Jesus. Because incarnate in flesh means human identity, not just a human body. Jesus is more than God in a human shell. He is God personified as a human person. What makes you a human being is more than your body. It is your mind. It is your will. It is your intellect. It is your emotions. It is your soul. And if Jesus was to take our place and pay our debt and be our substitute sacrifice, he had to be truly human. Heart, mind, soul, will, all human. And Jesus did not have a separate human identity from God. But as Brother Bernard writes in the oneness of God, humanity and deity were united together in his spirit. And just as much as Jesus was completely God, he at the same time was completely man. Hebrews chapter 1 says, Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the will of his power God expressed himself in flesh God took all that he is his will, his character, his personality if we were to remove all of the things that make God God like omnipotence and omniscience and omnipresence and we were to see his heart and his character and his personality God took all of that and incarnated himself into a very real human being and here's what the Bible says about the man that the beauty of the incarnation is this not that God looked like a man in Christ Jesus not that God appeared to be a man in Christ Jesus not that God pretended to be a man in Christ Jesus but that God became a human just like you in Christ Jesus I am preaching this morning 
that the most fundamental truth in revelation that we hold as apostolics is the answer to the deep human cry of the heart. It is the answer to Job's cry. If only, if only, but if only God were a man like me, I could stand before him face to face. I'm here to preach to you this morning that God became a man just like you. God became a human. Jesus was a human being just like you except without sin. Jesus prayed not just for our example but because as a man he needed to pray. The cry that he gave in the garden where he said let this cup pass from me as the burden and the weight of the world fell upon his shoulders and agony burst forth in his heart and he sweat as it were great drops of blood that wasn't pretend but it was real the man felt broken and alone and afraid Jesus was just like you in every way except for the nature of sin Jesus is the empathy of God displayed for us see sympathy says I feel bad sympathy says as I sit in my privileged position and I look upon you and I look upon your brokenness I feel bad compassion says I want to help you and I will take some of my many resources and I will gift them and bestow them upon you but empathy is something deeper empathy doesn't just say I feel bad it doesn't just say I want to help but empathy says let me come down to where you are and walk a mile in your shoes and feel what it is like to be you and learn what it is like to be you remember the cry of Job on the cross Remember the cry of Job, I should say, in his front yard. Listen to the cry of the Messiah on the cross in Psalm 22, 1 through 8. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember the cry of Job. Listen to the cry of Jesus. Why are you so far from helping me? And From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I am not silent, but you are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, deliver them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man. This is Jesus. This is the cry of Jesus on the cross as David prophesied of the Messiah. I don't know what he saw as he wrote Psalm 22, but Jesus quotes and embodies Psalm 22 when he is on the cross. David wrote from the perspective of the Messiah. Remember Job said, Oh God is enthroned in his holy, but I am broken and in the dust. Jesus is on the cross and as he feels the weight of the sin of the world, he cries, I am a worm and no man 
a reproach of men and despised by people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head saying, he trusted in God. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. I am poured out like water. and My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. And my tongue clings to my jaws. Jesus cried out, I thirst. I thirst on the cross. See, Jesus is the answer of prayer for everyone who knows they need God but feel like he's too far away. Jesus Christ, the beauty of Jesus is he is the answer of prayer to every frustrated parent, every overwhelmed mom and dad that has sat in the driveway at home before they walked into family dinner and they were so frustrated at their work. They were so overwhelmed at the chaos of life. They were so broken at the direction of their family. They were so overwhelmed because their marriage has fallen apart that they cried and they said, God, God, where are you? God, how can you identify with me? No, Jesus is the answer to that prayer. A God whose holiness is, feels like an unapproachable light is now approachable to broken people. Jesus knows what it is like to be you. The great experience of the incarnation the great thing, Pastor Harvey, that makes the mighty God in Christ so beautiful is not just the revelation of the facts that he is the one true living God of the Old Testament walking in sandal leather, but the beauty of the incarnation is that God knows what it is like to be you, to feel what you feel. To hurt the way you hurt. Jesus gets exhausted and he falls asleep in a boat. The God who says, I neither slumber nor I sleep is so overwhelmed with the weariness of serving people. He collapses in the boat every leader that has ever tried to minister to people to the point of burnout and they feel overwhelmed and weary at the burden. You can look at Jesus who is falling asleep in the boat and they, the storm comes and the disciples knock him awake and they say, don't you care that we perish? And we go, well, Jesus... Jesus was asleep in the boat because he was so confident. He knew he was going to stop the winds and the waves. No, I just think he was tired of dealing with people for so much that he didn't hear the thunder or the rolling of the waves. He was just tired and the thunder did not wake him up. He grieved the loss of people and the betrayal of those who should have been his friends. When Lazarus died and he showed up at his house, the shortest verse in all of scripture is Jesus wept. I don't believe Jesus cried because he was mad at them for not believing. I think as he stood and he realized that one of his closest friends was now deceased, his heart was broken within him despite the fact he knew in his divinity that he would call for the stone to be rolled away. He also knew what it was like to suffer loss. People said bad things about your family, about your neighborhood, about your country about your ethnicity, about where you come from, as Jesus would work miracles. There were some people that no matter what good he did, they would look at him and shake their head and say, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? 
Can any good thing come from that country? Can any good person come out of that neighborhood? Can any good thing come out of that economic status? Uh, we don't even think his parents were married when Mary got pregnant. Have you ever experienced people say awful and hurtful things about you and you've carried that wound in your heart uh, and you struggle with insecurity and you don't know how in the world can God ever identify with being made fun of like that? They said the same things about Jesus. Jesus, if you're here and you try to serve God with chronic pain, feel the sting of sickness and illness in your body. Isaiah 53 says he is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But... He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Hear me. You never have to wonder does God see me? Does God know me? Does God understand me? Does he know how much I hurt? Does he know how much I have need? The scripture says that he does. The scripture says he knows what it is like to be you. Jesus Christ is one hand on the body healing, devil destroying authority of God and one hand on the reality of your life. Hebrews says, as a result of this, as I'm coming to a close, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need because you serve a God who is not distant because you serve a God who is not far off because you serve a God who knows what it is like to struggle who knows what it is like to be hurt that knows what it is like even to be tempted that knows what it is like to be overwhelmed that knows what it is like to be broken you don't have to hold back your humanity in the presence of God. You don't have to hide your sin in the presence of God. You don't have to hide your brokenness in the presence of God. But you can walk in boldly into this house today. You can come in boldly into this altar call today. And you can say, Jesus, here's my pain. Jesus, here's my sin. Jesus, here's my family. Here's my grief. Here's my mental health. Here's my broken heart. Jesus, help me. God knows what it is like so you don't have to shrink back from pouring out your heart. He says that you will obtain mercy 
and find grace in your time of need. Grace is favor. Grace is when God gives you something that you do not deserve, that you cannot get on your own. Grace is God stepping into your mess and pulling you out. His humanity helps him walk a mile in your shoes. But his divinity causes every devil in hell that's been attacking you to shake in their boots. His humanity helps him identify with the brokenness of your heart. But his divinity says, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. So in my name, I'm going to cast off that sickness. In my name, I'm going to cast off that oppression. In my name, I'm going to pull your sons and daughters out of hell. I'm going to pull them out of sin. I'm going to break them out of addiction. And I'm going to restore your life. Grace is God stepping into your mess and pulling you out. This message is the reason why I feel so passionate preaching it this morning. Because this message comes from my own pain. Seated at my desk. Pastor Greg, you and I talked about it overwhelmed I had been hurt I had been hurt by people and I had felt bitterness trying to sink its claws into my spirit the scripture talks about avoiding the root of bitterness well that root had already gotten a hold of my soul I was so jaded I was so cynical and I was struggling because I had to preach And I knew, I felt, Adam, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be like this. You're not supposed to be hurt like this. You're supposed to get over it and move on. Why are you struggling? It's hard being a human being, isn't it? I felt like Job. I was haunted by this notion that I shouldn't be plagued. I should not struggle. I should get up in front of a congregation and be perfect and be flawless. And as I was reading Job, hearing Job's cry, God, if you only knew what it was like, felt the voice of God slam into my heart I know what it is like to be human I was hurt too if you're here and you were rejected maybe a mother or father walked out of your family and you haven't seen them or spoke to them and you feel like there's this void of brokenness in your life and even though you've been serving God for decades and you're 35, 42, 57, you still find yourself looking for the love of a father that walked away and you feel guilty for still struggling with that despite being decades in the church and you're like, I should be over this. Why am I feeling like this? God is saying to you today, I know what it feels like to be human. I was hurt. I was rejected. I was despised. But guess what the scripture says? that he was tempted at all points like as we are yet without sin Jesus knows what it is like to be human but at the same time overcame and as I was sitting at my desk the Lord spoke to me and said Adam if I overcame you 
can overcome too. Grace is when you are overwhelmed. The grace of God pulls you out. Grace is when you're fighting the bitterness. You're fighting the brokenness. You're fighting the hurt. You're struggling with the shame. And God not only comes and wraps his arms around you, but like the prodigal son, he pulls the dirty clothes off of you. He puts his ring on your finger, his clothes on your back, and he restores you. All over this room, could we stand together? Grace. It's when the love and the empathy of God collides with the authority that is in the name of Jesus and it mixes within your soul and brings healing. If you're overwhelmed, there is help. If you've messed up, there is mercy. If you have failed, there is restoration. You are going to overcome. You are going to get better. Your marriage can be renewed. Your emotions can be restored. Your ministry can be brought back because the grace of God is going to meet you where you are and then pull you out to a higher level. Whatever you came in here today, I want to let you know there is enough authority in heaven to break every chain, break every sickness, break every disease, break all oppression. And when you come to a God that has power like that, you're not coming to a God who is so far off. You're not coming to a God who is distant. You're coming to a God that knows what it feels like to be a human being. And He's going to find you where you are in this altar or in your pew. But by His power, you will not leave this house the same. You will not go home the same way that you came. Jesus is here to cross the void that is between you and God. Between your brokenness and His power. Between your suffering and His glory. Between your sin and His sanctification. He is here to cross the void. All you got to do is get up out of your seats as they get ready to sing right now. All you got to do is come out of your seats and make your way to this altar. And when you do, you do not need to hang your head. Your shoulders do not need to be slumped. You don't need to hide a thing from God. You get to come boldly. You get to come boldly as they begin to sing. I challenge you, come on out of your seats. If you need the Holy Ghost, you can get it this morning because you've got a God that's touched with the feeling of your infirmities. If you need a renewal in the Holy Ghost, you can get that this morning because you have a God that is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. Come on, that's it as they begin to sing. I want you to lift your hands to Jesus. I said, lift your hands to Jesus. Lift your hands to Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, we love you, Jesus. I won't fear, oh, I won't fear. Come on, that's it. I want you to reach out to Jesus right now.